Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello all and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. Today I'm going to talk to you about being a small woman and losing weight in an obesogenic environment and how actually it's quite hard. And I did a post on this like last week when I was in Lisbon and I was actually really shocked at how many people it resonated with and how many people were like, yeah, I really, really struggle with this. And I'm going to kind of squash a couple of myths around this, but then also say why it is so hard and then also finish with some practical tips to make it a little bit easier for you. And I got a lovely email from someone which, and, and I thought she just had such a good mindset around it. So I will also share that right at the end. So to start with, I thought this podcast was very apt because of genuinely, but I think that's probably been one of the most interacted with posts or I guess just like people feeling like this is talking to me like this is something I really struggle with and as I said I actually was quite surprised about that but anyway I listened to you guys and say this is what I'm going to talk about so and I'm going to elaborate a little bit here so if you struggle with how low you have to drop your calories to lose weight this episode is for you now it doesn't matter if that's because you're a small person or because you've got PCOS or because you're going through the menopause or because you have thyroid issues or you're on certain medications that lower your BMR again these are quite rare but things like beta blockers would lower BMR slightly there are some legitimate reasons that some people expend less energy so burn less calories and thus would need to consume less energy to create a deficit. And I'll put in this bracket as well, someone who can't be very active for whatever reason that might be. So it might be someone who's in a wheelchair and maybe they expend less energy. Um, Maybe it's an electric wheelchair. Like there are certain situations where you're going to be expending less energy. And I do want to be clear here because knowledge is power. And I think you know, even people can look at knowledge in two ways and see it as like disempowering or empowering. And basically I always see it as empowering. Like this is, this is what we know. This is the fact. This is, and then you can think, how do I work around that rather than just like burying your head in the sand and not wanting to know it. So the knowledge is power bit here is it still comes down to energy balance. Unfortunately, there is no way around that. Like if you're struggling on very low calories and it's not an adherence problem, or if you're struggling to lose weight and it's not an adherence problem, it is because you're not in a deficit. And one of the reasons that might be is because you don't expend that much energy. And for the various reasons I've just said, like being a smaller person, certain situations with PCOS, um, thyroid problems that aren't well medicated. Again, like a lot of these things, like if you had a thyroid problem that was poorly medicated, you would go back to the doctor and make sure that your medication is right rather than just massively drop your calories right we want to get to the root cause of the problem but if for example you're a small person you can't just go to the doctor and be like 
hello, I would like to be a larger person so that I expend more energy. Like, sadly, it doesn't really work like that. So as I said, the reason that you're not losing fat is because you're not in a deficit. And there are so many reasons why people aren't in a deficit. And a lot of the time it's actually from dropping calories too low. This is probably one of the most common things I see as a personal trainer is people dropping their calories too low and then ending up not being able to stick to those very low calories like anybody because it's really hard to do and then overeating. And because of human psychology, if you can't stick to something, most people respond to not being able to stick to something by going way off track. You're not like, oh, I can't stick to this, so I'll just eat a little bit more. You're like, oh, I can't stick to this, so there's no point at all. Like, that tends to be where our mind goes. So there's two points there. One, that will mean that you're in a surplus, probably quite a big surplus, and that actually you would be far better having a higher calorie target that you could stick to because you stick to it consistently over time, you will create a bigger deficit over time. And the second thing is you need to work on your mindset or we need to work on your mindset and listening to this podcast and listening to you know the last 450 odd episodes will certainly help with that because I talk about this all or nothing mentality this perfectionism so much and I help you break down the barriers to that so much and really what that requires is conscious effort to change your mindset so I guess firstly the belief that your mindset is changeable which it is secondly the understanding that it takes conscious effort to change your mindset and then thirdly actually doing the work and realizing that it's not it's not as simple as like hearing me say oh you know that you could just increase your calories and like you shouldn't be uh, on off with your mentality and perfectionism isn't helpful that's not enough like you need to hear me say that in 50 different ways consistently to reassure you numerous times, like that's how you change your mindset. It happens over a period of time. It's very rarely just one, like one stoic quote that you read and you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize all of this. Like happiness is the meaning of life. Blah, blah. It takes time, right? So make sure that you're consistently doing the work. One thing I would suggest is getting the journal, the VJ. By the way, if anyone has bought the journal, I didn't mention this that much because sometimes I think it sounds like virtue signally, but all of the money actually goes to charity. So if you have bought a journal, one, thank you. Two, I hope that it's really been useful to you. And three, you can feel pretty good about yourself because all that money is going to Ukraine, which I said right at the start when I was just doing the journal for Commit to Six People but I don't think I've mentioned it very much recently. And I think we're on well over £4,000, actually getting quite close to £5,000. So that is really nice, isn't it? And if you're thinking, oh, I didn't really want to give money to Jeff Bezos, and I know it's done by Amazon, but it's the only way I could do it. And I'm really sorry about that. But at least you can sleep at night knowing that actually the proceeds at least are going to Ukraine. Okay. So I've gone on a slight tangent, but I'm bringing myself back. If you are, again, struggling to lose weight, but you're listening to some personal trainer on social media who says that you should never drop your calories below 1600, even if you weigh 50 kilograms and you're very short, I don't know, you're four foot tall and you have an office job and you, you have PCOS and in that situation, you may very well be confused as to why you're ticking all the boxes and you're sticking to your 1600 calories, but you're just not 
getting the results that you want to get. And you might be thinking, oh, my metabolism's broken, there's nothing I can do about it, or catastrophizing, or thinking, well, I'll just drop my calories to 800. And again, that won't work for the reasons I've just stated, like it's too hard to stick to that. Now, on the post I did on this, I have read all 300 comments. I think there's more than that now. But anyway, at the time I read them all, there was 300 comments. And I wanna thank you for writing them. If my content is even a little bit good, and this podcast is even a little bit useful, it's because of you. It's because you share that information with me and because I listen and I take it in and I try to create content that actually helps you, that is focused at you. So moving on with the actual helping bit. Now, it's important to note, it's not the height per se that makes it harder for smaller people to lose weight. It's the smaller body size that tends to come with a smaller height. And I'll link to how this is like related to BMI in a minute. But basically, if you want to be a healthy body weight and you are smaller, then you would need to weigh less than someone who is taller, right, due to BMI. Um, And yes, there are problems with BMI, but actually generally for most people, it's not a bad marker to be in a healthy body range of BMI. Now, the reason that smaller people often struggle with weight loss is because they tend to have a lower BMR, so basal metabolic rate. But the reason for that is because they have a smaller total mass. So it's actually more to do with your weight. So if you're very small, but you weigh quite a lot, then actually your BMR wouldn't be lower because BMR is most highly correlated to how much you weigh, your total body mass. And then to a smaller extent, the percentage of that, which is fat versus the percentage of that, which is muscle. And that is what dictates your basal metabolic rate, which is the biggest contributor to your total daily energy expenditure. And your total daily energy expenditure is how many calories you expend during a day. So from that number, and again, like all of this is kind of an estimate, but when you go onto calorie calculators and stuff, this is the number you're getting, your total daily energy expenditure. It's giving you an estimated guess of that. That is the number that you would then be like, right, this is how many calories I need to consume to maintain my current body weight based on my current activity levels. If I want to lose body fat, i.e. create a calorie deficit and then force my body to use its own stored energy for fuel because it doesn't have enough coming in, then I need to take from my total daily energy expenditure. So maybe you take 20% of that or 15% of that. You take something reduced from your total daily energy expenditure. That would be your deficit that you're creating. Now, a quick recap total daily energy expenditure is made up of what we just spoke about, your basal metabolic rate. So this is how many calories you need just to live, right? If you lay in bed all day, that's your basal metabolic rate. Then you have NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is movement that is not defined as exercise. So this really adds up and is quite underrated. I mean, I think it's become much more known about now but it tends to be quite underrated so it's things like walking it's hand gesticulations it's fidgeting it's 
like it could you know you could include things like hoovering or cleaning like anything that you're not deeming as exercise that requires movement like your commute to work things like that really does add up over the day because you think actually you spend most of your day you know living moving doing stuff compared to maybe you spend 45 minutes to an hour five days a week exercising that doesn't the you normally overexpend the amount that you burn doing exercise and underestimate the amount that you you expend um just moving and living so then you've got exercise which is quite self-explanatory that's the amount of calories you burn doing exercise and then you have the thermic effect of food which we don't really need to think about but it's the calories required to break down and process your food so one example that came up was a woman who was 66 kilograms and only five foot tall and she was worried that she wouldn't lose weight on 1500 calories despite doing 10,000 steps and four workouts a week now despite the fact she's quite small like five foot is you know distinctly below average height for a woman which by the way I am at five foot five I think that's still average height anyway basic maths for this individual will tell you that in this case she she will lose weight on 1500 calories because it's the mass remember not the height so at 66 kilograms your base metabolic rate plus walking 10,000 steps a day, plus doing four workouts a week, like 1,500 calories will certainly have you in a deficit. So in this situation, it is more likely if you're not losing weight, being you know, consistent on 1,500 calories, it's an adherence problem or it's inaccurate tracking or it's impatience or it's unrealistic expectations of weight loss, which again, trips people up so much. Oh, um, what's the thing? <laughs> My my fitness pal i don't know why i keep forgetting how to say that my fitness pal is saying oh you'll if you continue like this you'll lose two pounds a week and you're like but i'm not losing two pounds a week oh i must need to change something but actually that's just a lack of understanding of how the scales work and the fact that they will fluctuate even when you're losing body fat like sometimes the scales will go up and you will have lost body fat that week for example maybe the week before your period where you're retaining a bit of water but you've also lost fat but you're retaining more water in weight than the fat you have lost. So often it's kind of a combination of all these things, like not not being that adherent, slightly inaccurate tracking, being pretty impatient with results, but then also not knowing what to expect from results and, and, and like a misunderstanding of the scales, like thinking, oh, well, if the scales haven't dropped, I haven't dropped body fat. So it's often this combination of all of these things. But what it isn't in this situation is the fact that 1500 calories isn't a deficit for this person because actually at 66 kilograms and doing the activity that they're doing, that will be a deficit. So before I move on from total daily energy expenditure, it's also lower given any activity level two if you are a smaller person. So for example, if this individual, let's say, at 66 kilograms does 10,000 steps, they will burn more calories than someone who weighs 56 kilograms doing the same steps, given that they're walking like the same route, right? Not if they're walking up a big hill or they've got a huge backpack on or something, but all things being equal, the only thing that's different is their weight. Then actually the heavier person will burn more calories doing 10,000 steps than the smaller person will will burn doing 10,000 steps. And then I guess we haven't really spoken about thermic effect of food, but 
this is also slightly higher given the more food you consume. So it's it's normally about 20% of total calories that is used to digest the food. Now there are slight change, you know, like protein has a higher thermic effect of food than fat does, for example, or than carbohydrates do, but it's quite a small negligible amount. And what this doesn't mean, unfortunately, is that you can just eat more to burn more calories because you will have still eaten more. It's like 20% of the calories that you consume. So you can't just get around that by unfortunately eating more but as a smaller person eating less calories then obviously thermic effect of food would be lower as well so all of this kind of contributes to actually a lower total daily energy expenditure meaning that you will have to drop your calories lower in order to lose body fat I've probably gone into way too much detail there but that's basically the crux of it the point I want to make here is that the relationship between being shorter and finding it harder to lose weight is total mass and thus basal metabolic rate or total daily energy expenditure. And if you are shorter, you will have to be lighter to be in a healthy BMI range than if you were a taller person. And again, I know there are issues with BMI, but actually for most people being in a healthy range unless you're like an elite level athlete or you hold a hell of a lot of muscle mass is still a really good marker okay so now we know that it's harder for smaller people to be a healthy weight because you need to eat less than taller people at least generally unless you are extremely active now the issue here is that our environment is not set up for that So in this sense, even though smaller people technically need less energy and maybe would have lower hunger levels, it's actually quite tough to eat less while still eating out and being social and, you know, not having to pre-prepare every single meal that you eat. Things like portion sizes are the same, irrespective of how much energy we actually need to consume. So even for people with relatively high energy needs, I would say it's actually quite hard to eat in accordance to energy demands due to the ever-increasing portion sizes and calorie density of foods. So now imagine how hard it is when you're actually quite a small person, you don't require that many calories per day. And this means that we need to do what we can to kind of curate our own environments because we live in this broadly quite obesogenic environment. And thus, you know, we can create our own environment within that and make smarter food choices. And this is potentially a little bit controversial, but I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I think it's interesting to me that there is such a push to encourage people to include highly calorie dense foods in their diets under the guise of its mental health and its food freedom. And of course, I do agree that you shouldn't feel like you can't have a certain food, but the vast majority of the time, you are probably going to want to choose not to have that given food. If you still want to eat in line with your energy needs, so for example, eating a donut with your latte will mean that you're probably going to have to have a very small dinner or no dinner at all and a very small lunch as well, if you want to make sure that you stay within your calories, if you're a small woman who doesn't, you know, cycle 
five hours to work each day. Five hours was an exaggeration, right? One hour to work, one hour back, does a gym session, blah, blah, blah. Isn't like massively active or isn't like a post woman or something. If you're not expending a lot of energy and you're quite a small person, you just simply don't need to take in that much energy. So for sure, like a six foot man weighing 100 kilograms or like a lot of these fitness models that you see online who are very active, they can absolutely fit a donut and a burger into their calories. But it's not the same if you're either A, not a fitness model who's training twice a day and walking to work and then cycling and coaching clients all day and is on their feet all day, or B, like a large human, like maybe you're a six foot man or something. It is much harder if that, if essentially for those reasons, you're not expending as much energy, which means that I'll be like, unfortunately, people won't like this, but you cannot consume as much highly palatable foods without it massively impacting the rest of your life. And I like, don't get me wrong here. I love the pushback against diet culture and the notion that women should be able to eat more than just half a salad for dinner. But we also have to be real. And I worry that we're creating this false expectation when we see really slim girls on Instagram eating donuts and burgers every single day. And just to be clear, if they are doing that, they're either doing it very rarely, but seem to post it on Instagram quite a lot, or they're expending a ton of energy so they have a big calorie budget and thus it doesn't make a huge difference if they spend whatever 500 calories of that on a donut or they're posting the huge cookie but only having like a small piece of it and letting you insinuate that they've eaten it all so you know they're not technically lying but it did make it look pretty much like you were going to eat all of that but okay like you just have your little corner and then everyone else kind of feels like well whenever I eat a whole cookie and I eat like that I don't look anything like that person does and it's re- like it creates false expectations for people I think it's really unhelpful or they're eating very little for the rest of the day so you know whatever it is it still comes back to energy balance and there isn't a secret metabolic hack they are not defying energy balance. Like there is no secret there. When you see someone doing that, they're either rarely doing it, or they're expending a hell of a lot of energy or they're kind of misleading you. And some people are misleading you to sell you essentially a false promise. And I think it's really unhelpful. And they might be doing it for the right reasons. They might be thinking, oh, this will help people's relationship with food. But I think there's also a negative there. And I would argue that potentially it worsens people's relationship with food when they realise that actually that was kind of a false promise and they can't do that. And actually being a little bit more aware of their food choices would make creating the physique they want and maintaining it a hell of a lot easier. Because the poison is in the dose, right? If you eat if you eat out once a week, then you can certainly enjoy a pizza But the rest of your week, you're going to be pretty on point. And that's balance. But that's often not really what's shown on Instagram. And balance may sound a little bit boring. But I actually think food tastes nicer when it's a rarity. Like if I had pizza, and pizza's not my thing, right? But let's say it is. If I had pizza every single night, I mean, like, it'd probably be enjoyable for a week. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. Like, it, it would just seem the norm. 
But if I had it every now and again or once a week and it was my favourite thing and I really looked forward to it, then actually I would enjoy it so much more. And there's psychology research to show that actually there is a huge amount of joy that you get from the anticipation of something. In fact, we get almost as much joy from the anticipation of a meal, of uh, of food, of holidays, of experiences as we do from the event itself. Like think about how much you enjoy the lead up to Christmas versus Christmas Day. Like Christmas Day is great, right? But actually the lead up is kind of where you get so much of the joy from the experience or how excited you are before you go on holiday. That's been shown to be almost as joyful, I guess, as the holiday itself. So anticipation is so important. And actually, if you want to make experiences more enjoyable, like start thinking about them beforehand, start getting excited about them, start fantasizing about them. So I think less frequent exposure to something that you enjoy actually makes it that little bit more enjoyable and a little bit more special. If you have brunch, for example, every single day, it just becomes the norm. If you have it once a week and you're like, oh, I can't wait for brunch this week, it feels completely different. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, it completely depends how you view these things, right? Some people will be like, oh, I don't want to restrict myself to only having brunch once a week, or I don't want to restrict myself to pizza once a week. Actually, I think it improves enjoyment so much more. The same with when you go on holiday and it's been a little bit too long, or like you go on holiday too frequently. Actually, it's so it's so much more special when it's not a frequent thing. Okay, um, what else did I want to say on this? Ah, yes. You can choose to see the fact that smaller people need less energy as unfair, but it really doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, if I were you, I wouldn't waste my time, my brain energy, my emotions feeling like a victim. You can't change it, but you can adapt to it. This is the situation. How can I deal with it? Instead of worrying about a situation you can't change. And to add salt to the wound, it's it kind of even more annoying because in theory, we should be less hungry because we require less energy. And that is true to an extent, but that extent is way less, unfortunately, than what we like to, than basically what it should be. And it's likely partly at least due to our food choices. And by that, I mean the consumption of highly palatable foods mean that it's very easy to overeat. And hunger levels may be more in line with actual energy demands if we were eating only whole foods, for example, or at least largely whole foods. Although, in my opinion, even if that were the case, we're likely programmed to eat more than what we need anyway, as like an evolutionary advantage to to avoid famine like we are biologically programmed to eat more food than we actually need because for the vast majority of human existence there wasn't an abundance of food available you couldn't just call uber eats we didn't just have food around everywhere all the time and now we're in this hugely privileged position it's actually quite hard to control like your human urges to overeat this is why i really want to I guess, take away the negative connotations of overeating. Like, it is a normal human physiological response. You're not greedy. You're a human. Like, we are all driven to overeat. It's just some people have learned to control those cravings or control those urges. And that's something that, again, you can learn to do as well. 
but I really want to take away, like, you know, binge eating is probably like quite a normal human instinct. It's just, it's not conducive to us given that there is so much food available. So we need to make sure that we change those behaviours, but certainly don't feel guilt and shame around them because they are normal human physiological responses. Anyway, hunger levels do not correlate well with how much food you actually need. And I know that's annoying. And I know that many intuitive eater type people will dispute that, but you can dispute away. Like you can argue away with that, but they don't. And there are so many levels that they don't. Like we know that certain genes predispose you to being more hungry. We know that certain people respond to exercise in a completely different way with massive increases in hunger that go far beyond the energy that they've expended. And yet we're still telling people to eat intuitively, especially in and also with food freedom of being able to eat whatever you want. Like you, you try and intuitively eat junk food and stay within your energy requirements. I'm not even talking about weight loss. I just mean like not excessive weight gain. I think anybody would struggle with that. So relying solely on your hunger signals uh, isn't a great thing to do, in my opinion. And one of the reasons that most people are overweight is exactly that. It's this combination of highly palatable foods, low satiating foods, the fact that we eat for comfort, we eat because we crave foods because we've been exposed to them. Like if you hadn't seen that advert for Doritos, would you actually want Doritos now? No, it's not like, it's not your body that's like, I need some Doritos. It's it's actually just, you've been exposed to that stimulus, right? So being aware of these things that impact your food choices, again, really, really important. And I'm not saying that these are all bad things and that you should never eat Doritos or you should never eat highly processed food. But it is one reason why we tend to eat more than what we need. Now, if you're making conscious decisions about that, that's a little bit different. But bear in mind that those decisions to eat more highly palatable foods might mean that you're hungrier and might make it harder for you to stick to your calorie needs. And one of the hardest things for petite people is that we need less, but that doesn't often translate to actually wanting to eat less or to significantly lower hunger levels, especially with things like hormonal fluctuations and cravings around time of the month or cravings around menopause, which are far worse because the hormonal fluctuations are about 100 times what they would be with a normal menstrual cycle. And they don't make half as much sense because they're not, they don't tend to be just a monthly cycle, like they can fluctuate throughout the month. So again, like a lot of these things, like if you're telling people just eat intuitively, just listen to your hunger, but your hunger is being ramped up and down by your crazy estrogen levels because you're going through menopause, like not helpful advice really, is it? So getting on to some practicalities. One, accept it and own it or it will own you. Like, do not be a victim to anything in your life. This is the situation. How are you going to deal with it? Do you need some support to help you deal with it? Great. Contact me because I'm freaking great at this stuff. ESG at ESGfitness.co.uk or ESGfitness.co.uk or hit the link in the show notes. Two, food choices. It is not just how much you eat, but it's what you eat that is really, really important. So, 1500 calories can be really satiating if you make the right food choices or 1800 calories can leave you really hungry because you've eaten mostly highly palatable processed foods. It's not just the calorie target and I really want to emphasize this point because a lot of people are like, oh I tried sticking to 1600 calories and I was too hungry. 
no, 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 no. Like 1600 calories is not a satiety level. Like 1600 calories of high protein, high volume food versus 1600 calories of I went to Greg's and then I had a meal deal and ate, a, I don't know, something like a package deal for, for dinner as well. That's not going to leave you satiated in the same way that the same calories made of different foods will. And that's such an important point to get in your head because people get stuck on these calorie numbers and think X amount of calories will make me hungry. It won't. Or maybe it will. But the point is, depending on how you make up those calories will have a huge impact on your satiety levels. Number three is move more. There is a bit of a caveat to this in that, as I briefly mentioned, some people respond to increased movement with quite drastic levels of increased hunger. It's actually quite a rarity and most people would do very well moving more, if not for expending more calories, just simply for health. So trying to get in like at least 8,000 steps a day would be amazing. Obviously, if you're someone who can't walk for some reason or it's not practical or it's not safe or it's too hot, then, you know, steps are just a crude measure of energy expenditure. If you're like, I can't do steps, but I can watch my favourite TV show while I sit on the bike for an hour and just like make sure that my level of exertion is similar to what it would be at a fast walk. So I don't know, maybe I'm just sweating a little bit and I'm a tiny bit out of breath, right? Something like that. Okay, I'm still getting moving. It doesn't have to be walking. And there is always a solution. Like, please don't ever think, oh, I can't get my steps in. That's why I can't do this. No, no, no. <laughs> if you're ever looking for a solution to a problem, message me. I will find a solution for you. But there is always a way around things. Number four, curate your environment. So you need less willpower when the food isn't there, right? Don't just fill your food, your food. Don't just fill your house with junk food. Make sure that you're creating an environment that you live in for success if you want to eat more fruit and snack on more fruit instead of snacking on crisps make sure that the fruit's there and that the crisps if they're even in the house are in the cupboard right they're not out there like make the easiest option the one that is the one that yeah make the option that you want to take the easiest option um number five the law of diminishing returns when it comes to really enjoyable food so what i'm not saying and I'm, I'm sure that like there's been a bit of a narrative through this and I understand why people could take this from this episode. But what I'm not saying is if you're a small person, only eat protein and veg and lots of voluminous foods. Like, no, enjoy some pizza, but do it via the law of diminishing returns. So by that, I mean, you will get by far the most joy from your pizza from the first two slices. And you don't have to finish the whole thing right? Same with like chocolate. You probably get the first or like 80% of the joy that you're going to get from eating a chocolate bar from the first two chunks of chocolate. Like I'm not saying the rest isn't enjoyable. This is not the law of no returns. It's the law of diminishing returns. So you will still probably enjoy eating the rest of the chocolate bar or eating five um, squares of chocolate or eating the whole pizza. But actually instead of depriving yourself, again, this is like compromise not sacrifice instead of sacrificing yourself and saying I'm never eating pizza again which is only ever going to end in a pizza binge or I'm never having chocolate again which again is only ever going to end in a chocolate binge tell yourself like I'm going to have some and I'm going to enjoy what I'm going to have and then I'm going to stop and that's hard 
I'm not underestimating how hard that is. That's really hard. That's life balance, right? But actually, life balance is so important and it means that you can enjoy these things and enjoy your life while also having the physique that you want. Like it is absolutely doable, but it comes down to making compromises, not sacrifices. And that's hard initially, like stopping at two slices of pizza is hard initially, but you actually get better and better at it. And number six is to plan ahead, partly so you enjoy it more. Like what I was talking about, the anticipation, like anticipate these things. They and they can be more enjoyable because you have them less frequently. Make it a big thing. Oh, I go out on a Friday and I have my favorite pizza and it's so, so enjoyable. Like plan these things ahead and start looking forward to them and then really enjoy them in the moment. Be present, turn your phone off, like think about what you're doing. Enjoy the whole experience of it and then move on. But don't do it. You don't have to do that all the time. And actually it makes it even more special when you don't do it all the time. And that's part of just finding joy in everything in your life. Like even boring things can be really special. Like I really look forward to on a Sunday, normally me and my flatmate walk to the big Aldi, right? I know, wild, crazy, but neither of us have cars. So we like do that on a Sunday and it's like kind of a little adventure. And like, even that, like if I did it every day, I would hate it because it's actually quite far and like a little bit boring. And it's basically just a, a road. It actually is just, it's mostly a walk along a main road. So it's not like the nicest walk ever, but I enjoy it because I do it once a week and because it's fun and because we look forward to it and because we have good chat. And if that was frequently all the time, it would be half as enjoyable. Oh, and a final bonus from the lady who emailed me. The, the reason I'm saying the lady who emailed me is I don't know if she wants to be named or not. But anyway, something she said was that there's quite a big bonus of being a small person because you actually get to wear kids' clothes, which are that free. So there you go. Like, there's a bonus to being a small person. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that it's been useful. Um, it was obviously something that a lot of people have and do struggle with. If this is something that you would like some help and support with, then please do contact me at ESG Fitness on Instagram or go to my website and you can fill in a little application form, tell me a little bit about you. And then I will email you. And that's esgfitness.co.uk. Have a wonderful day. Oh, and finally... If this has been useful to you and you think it might be useful to someone else, please, please do share it. Or if you've enjoyed it, please let me know and share it on your stories. If topics like this are useful to people, I will obviously do more on them. And so your feedback is very much appreciated and listened to and implemented. Thank you as ever for your time and attention. If you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at esgfitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys.